Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 29 through 31. Moses has reviewed the Ten Commandments to Israel. The re people are rejoicing that it's Moses that talks with them and not God. So let's look at verse 25 of Deuteronomy 5. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of our Lord God any more, then we shall die. The people of Israel have heard the voice of God thunder from the mountaintop, and he thundered in a James Earl Jones type voice. And of course, it was in old King James English. But after hearing God's voice, Israel, they declare, Moses, you talk to us, you speak to us, otherwise God's voice will kill us. Now that had to be some voice. The British Open in golf was just finished this past week. The announcer who announces the golfers on the tee box, he has a very high-pitched voice. And he would say things like, Tiger Woods, now from the United States, is on the tee box, followed by Zach Johnson. And all the golfers make fun of this man's high-pitched voice. And it's a big joke among them. But Israel trembles at the voice of God. And God says, okay, I will agree to speak to you through Moses. So God's in agreement that he will speak to the children of Israel via Moses. And so we go behind the scenes. And we will hear God's word through Moses to the people. Verse 29 of chapter 5. Oh, that they had a, such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments that it might be well with them and their children forever. God wants all his people to have a heart of respect and fear towards him. Every now and again, just to help me realize who God is and who I am, I will get on my knees in prayer before him. Just a little help for me to realize who I'm praying to and who I'm in the presence of. God also desires that we as his people be obedient in keeping his commandments. Obedience to God is important to God and it's vital to a Christian's life. Jesus repeatedly tells us, anyone who will listen to him, if you love me, obey me. That's pretty simple, you know? And many times in our efforts to please God, we want to move mountains. We want to do heroic 
feats for our Lord. We want to kind of be like Peter after the day of Pentecost, how his shadow would pass over the sick and the lame and they would be healed. And we kind of secretly desire some of these great things to be done in our lives. But God has called us to do what? Obey me. Simply obey me. We want so often to be distinguished by our service unto God, but it's really just doing what God has in front of us, doing his will. The second part of verse 29, God tells the people that it, if you obey me, that it will be well with us and our children forever. That's a pretty good promise. The most any of us can do or be is what God has called us to do or be. That's the most you can do. And if God has called you to be a servant, don't you dare be a king. You be a servant. Obedience has a God reward that it will be well with us and our children through the summer months. Perhaps even into the upcoming school year. No, God is telling Moses, if my people are faithful in the small things that I call them to do, I will abundantly bless them forever. What a promise. And then we have verse 30 of Deuteronomy chapter 5. And God tells Moses, go and say to them, return to your tents. And then verse 31. And verse 31 is where we're going to hone in on this morning. But as for you, and God's talking to Moses, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, which you shall teach them that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. Verse 29, we got a glimpse of God's heart. Be faithful, my people, so I can bless you throughout your lifetime and eternity. That's a great promise. Verse 30, return to your tents, Israel, your abodes with great comforting promises from God. But verse 31, but Moses, Moses, you stand here by me. Moses, you hang around where I can have fellowship with you. I want you, Moses, to be close to me. That's interesting when we realize God has recently told Moses, no promised land for you, Moses, because Moses has misrepresented God by striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And so Moses has a very short time left on earth. But Moses and you and I, we're God's creation, and as his creation, God desires to have fellowship with us the reason for the cross.
God saved us, sent his own son to the cross, that we can have fellowship with him. But there's a fly in the ointment. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves getting too busy, too preoccupied to fellowship with our Lord. Now, most of us are goal-oriented, and I, I'm there. We're purpose-driven people. Somebody wrote a book about that. <laughs> and we guard our time very carefully. A lot of us are even salaried employees. And as a salaried employee, you know what the expectation is. It's 40-plus every week. It's not 40 And some of us, or not us, but some of you have accumulated vacation time that you'll never use because you have so much of it. Because you're motivated, because you're goal-oriented, and you want to be pleasing and do a good job and so forth. But Moses has got a month at the most, a month and a half to live when God says to him, slow down, Moses. Hey, Lord, I've got a month left, you know. And he says, Moses, I want to be near you. I want us to have fellowship. Well, Jesus had something to say about us having fellowship with him. He has, in the book of Matthew, recently pronounced all the woes upon the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all the scribes and the lawyers and so forth. So look at Matthew 23, verse 37 through 39 with me. I'll give you a second to turn there. Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophet stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is talking to the everyday people of Jerusalem. And he says, how often I wanted to gather you and your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Recently on the news, they showed a mother duck crossing the freeway. And she's got about four or five of her little ducklings behind her. Cars are hitting their brakes, they're swerving, you look, oh no, that car's going to get them. She makes it across four lanes of traffic with her little ducks. And I thought, my goodness. And then we hear Jesus say, I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, protects them and watches over them. And Jesus isn't talking to his 12 disciples. He isn't talking to prophets or kings, but he's talking to the ordinary, everyday person on the street. Now, these people of Israel 
have been pointing to one thing their entire lives. They have been anxiously awaiting Messiah. It was every young girl's dream that she would be the mother of Messiah. Mothers were naming their baby Yeshua in the hopes that he would be Messiah. And now Jesus has come. He's walking the streets of Jerusalem, and the people totally miss their day of visitation. The greatest hour that the world has ever known has come, and they don't recognize it. And they don't recognize it because the daily grind of life has consumed them. They're so preoccupied that they are spiritually blind. Jesus has been in the marketplace. He's been in the streets. He's been in their temples teaching. He's been mingling, interacting with the people. He's been doing miracles, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, opening blind eyes and deaf ears. At one occasion, he fed over 5,000 with five loaves and two little fish. And these mighty miracles totally of God, pass by the people without them recognizing who is doing the miracles. And Jesus says, you wonder why desolation is coming to you? You're wondering why destruction awaits you? And he says, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go away, and you will not see me again until the end of the age. That's one occasion. Now, within probably two or three weeks, we have Jesus again announcing his own sadness over the people of Jerusalem, over his own fellow Jews. And that's in Luke 19, verse 41. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. And that saddens Jesus tremendously. It saddens Jesus to the point that he weeps because of the spiritual blindness of his own people and, it says, for their lack of peace. Now, Jesus wants to give us peace, but it's not like a con uh, you know, lack of a conflict. Jesus wants to give us peace and contentment by overcoming the circumstances of life where God's purpose can be fulfilled in our life. He doesn't want to free us of any upheavals in our life, but he wants to give us peace through the upheavals. And Scripture's definition of peace is contentment in Christ regardless of the circumstances around us. 
we're told that our Lord can give us peace in a storm. And how true that is. Consider for a moment that Jesus is weeping for his people for their lack of peace. And Jesus tells all those in Jerusalem, he tells them their future. He says, you and your city will be destroyed along with your children. And then Jesus will tell them the reason. Because you did not know the time of your visitation from your Messiah. The coming of Messiah has been the long-awaited hope of Israel. It was in their conversation. It was taught by their uh, teachers, their scribes, their priests. It was the hot topic of the day. But here Jesus is, and they don't recognize him. But there was one woman that recognized him, and she was a Samaritan woman. And Jesus at the well, you know the story, and uh, she's speaking to Jesus, and she says, when Messiah comes, he will explain to us how to worship and how to live life. And then Jesus simply said, I am he. You're talking to Messiah. It's not when he comes. He's right here talking to you now. Well, that struck a note with her. She believes. And not only does she believe, she goes and gets her entire village. And the entire village turns to Christ. And they are Samaritans. Hated by the Jews, by the way. This Samaritan woman at least recognized her day of visitation. And Jesus is there. He's weeping over Jerusalem, wanting to give his people peace. But they're so blind spiritually that Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, stands there speaking to them, teaching them, and they do not recognize him. Now we, we today would marvel at their blindness, at their dullness of heart. There was another occasion when Jesus is talking with his disciples and he says to them, who do men say I am? John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets perhaps risen from the dead. But Jesus carries it a little further, a little deeper and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, in perhaps his greatest moment ever as a disciple, says, you are the Christ of God. And he was right. But Jesus wants his disciples to know and understand who he is. And the opportunity that they have right then to fellowship with God. Let me read you one last passage. Revelation chapter 3, our scripture reading this morning, but I want us to look at verse 20. Jesus is speaking to the church at Laodicea. He's openly calling for the church to repent and change their direction. 
Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus wants any and every person to know he stands at the door of their heart and knocks and wants to have fellowship with them. If a person would simply open that door of their heart, open their understanding to Christ, Jesus promises to come in and have intimate fellowship with that person. So our Lord, God the Father, in Deuteronomy 5.31, he wants Moses to hang around and have fellowship with him. Hey, Moses, just, just hang in there for a little while and let's have fellowship. In Revelation, last book of the Bible, verse 20, now we hear Jesus saying, I stand at the door and knock, wanting to have fellowship with each and every person alive. It's God reaching out to mankind. God initiating relationship. Why? Simply because he created us and he loves us. If you don't take anything else away from this morning, understand God loves you and wants to have fellowship with you. And the rest of it, the cross and everything else falls into place then. Because that's what he did to have fellowship with us. Know that our Lord desires fellowship with each and every one of us. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Lord, these verses can be convicting. Because I always, I don't always take time to have fellowship with you, Lord. And here you are, God of the universe, my creator. And my schedule's too busy too often. Forgive me, Lord. Show me what a great privilege it is to have fellowship with you, the lover of my soul the one who died for me to provide salvation, the one who has done everything possible just to have a relationship. Help each of us to understand that, Lord. And then, Lord, cause us to make time in our schedule, and I don't care how busy any of us are, make time to develop that relationship with you, for you desire it. Do this good work by your spirit in our hearts and lives, Lord. Help us to realize who you are and who we are. We thank you for loving us so much. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.